0: If my money weren't sitting in my company, you know, I would be buying real estate in in Glasgow. Where do I see space going? Right, you know, I think there is a very, very unique opportunity and a very, very unique alignment in Scotland that is stronger than maybe any other place.
1: Hi, I'm Kim. No, I'm Murray, and this is Scotland's secret space race. We've got a bit of a special one today.
2: We do indeed. We've got Peter Platzer, CEO of No Less Than Spire.
1: And he gave us a lot of his time. We've just literally come off the call right now and the two of us are very inspired, aren't
2: we? Ah, completely. He's a great guy. He's, he can definitely uh, tell a tell a good story. And he is absolutely fizzing with ideas and, and energy about the, um, uh, and the space sector. So there is a lot of rich information there and, and ideas from... Yeah, everybody from the uh from students through to policymakers
1: yeah and private companies and nasa and the met office and noah gosh we ought to be touched on during the conversation just about everyone didn't we
2: i think it, yeah, you keep covered covered the whole lot i mean that company has now got offices around the world but it was overwhelmingly positive about glasgow <laughs> starting off with the uh, quality of the coffee it, it does show though i mean that's the, the reason for doing this podcast is that you know we need to talk up what's going on here that very very few people still know about the uh, the Scottish uh, space race and you know even Peter's saying that you know he runs this huge company and people still don't know about what's going on
1: I asked him I said why do people still not know about Scotland's space industry he said I don't know I'm flabbergasted and I thought yep sums it up why does nobody know Uh, we're trying our best Murray right we're trying to tell this story
2: (laughs) (laughs) we're trying our best yeah well people are starting to listen so that's that's great but he had a a lot of ideas as well about the um, nature of growth and innovation and that was something which was echoed by uh, Bonnie Dunbar the idea that Government works hand in hand with the private sector to stimulate an industry rather than it being you know two entirely different sectors. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to see what people in government think about that. He, he had some clear ideas about what the barriers were as well. So. He didn't
1: hold back, did he?
2: He didn't hold back at all. But that's what you need. I mean, need to have this sort of bold vision about what the future can be like, and, um, and I, I think he's got it.
1: He's definitely got it. Well, I think nobody wants to hear any more from us. We're going to run this interview in its entirety. So get yourself a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, maybe something stronger, and just enjoy the insight from one of the world's leaders in the space industry, who also happens to have a huge company based here in Glasgow. Here's Peter Platzer, Chief Executive of Spire.
2: Kim's muted. (laughs) How how are you, Peter? Great to see you.
1: I'm very well. How are you doing?
2: Yeah, very, very well. Thank you. Kim, are you all good with your sound on your side? I'm good.
1: I can hear you. Sorry about that, guys. How are you? Nice to meet you, Peter. Likewise. Likewise. Very nice to meet you. Yeah. Are you in Luxembourg just now? I'm in Luxembourg right now. Yes. How lovely. How's the weather in Luxembourg?
0: Um, it's been it's been really really sunny, really really hot. Uh, this this very moment, it has a little bit of a cloud. How, how about Glasgow? How, how are you? In, are you in Edinburgh? Or we're in Glasgow? Edinburgh. Yeah,
1: it's actually lovely today. It's bright. It's warm. It's not quite sunny, but um, it's dry. So that's it's that's a bonus. warm.
2: <laughs> it's a Scottish summer. I mean, what what were we expecting? You know.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. I
0: mean, I I, I remember the. Rumor about the, the bad weather in Glasgow is is highly exaggerated. You know, I felt I felt the summers were, were were great. Yeah. It does rain. It does rain a lot, but the flip side is like you just have like this wonderful, wonderful green everywhere, which is just fantastic.
1: I'm from Glasgow originally, and I do miss I miss the chat. You don't get that anywhere else in the world, do you?
0: <laughs> yes.
1: The cheek, Murray. Murray will testify to my cheek. Um, yes, you. it's unending. <laughs> I should just
2: apologise for you in advance, oh, right?
1: <laughs> ouch. Oh no, this is what the. Tone of this interview is going to be like <laughs> well listen thank you so much for speaking to murray and i today i know how busy you are so we really appreciate you taking the time
0: i am ready thank you so much i really no appreciate problem.
1: it no problem so obviously you have offices across the world from san francisco all the way to singapore are you enjoying not traveling right now
0: wonderfully wonderfully fantastically so um uh it, it's it's uh, for the last Four or five years. Um, I've been on a plane every 3.4, 3.5 days. Wow. Um, so that's something like um, uh, 110 flights a year. That's hundreds and hundreds of hours of jet lag. And so I have not been as stationary as I've been for the last three months. For like I don't know, like a decade. And it has been absolutely wonderful. It has been absolutely wonderful to to be around the family and, and play with the kids. And and so far, they agree that it has been wonderful. So they haven't thrown me out. So. You know, so far so good.
1: And you've been giving away data as well during the the pandemic, which obviously you don't normally do to the Met Office and to NOAA. While the flights have been grounded, so how has that been received?
0: It was really a great way to participate in in the, in the collaborative global effort to to tackle this challenge, right? I mean, like we're all impacted by it. Weather prediction is is an incredibly crucial part of uh, of the global economy. And uh, and suddenly, you know, the, the great institution like the Wikimedia Office and others, they just lost an incredibly important uh, uh, data source. Right. And given that our data is reasonably well understood and we have loads of it, you know, we knew that we can make a, a massive impact there. And so when we approached them, they really showed a flexibility and an agility that, that I wouldn't I, I don't want to say I want to surprise us because we know them. But I think it's really astonishing and I think it would surprise the average person because there was nothing of a, a, you know, a, a staunchy, slow government body, right? You know, they, were, they were nimble, they were really rallying to the situation in an incredibly agile way. Um, and, and we're able to incorporate our data in, in just record time. Like literally, we're talking, talking days and a couple of weeks or, or three weeks or something like that. So really, really very, very, very short period of time. Um, and they have already uh, produced the impact numbers um, uh, which show that now radio occultation it is, uh, is, has gone from like being the, the bottom of, of of the stack in terms of importance to being, you know, the fourth most important data source for them. So I, I think really very, very gratifying uh, contribution that we were allowed, allowed to make there.
1: And an opportunity, I guess, for you to prove the worth of your data as if there was ever any question, but people are still, you know, maybe a little bit snooty about the smaller satellites. I don't know. Is that your experience? No, I mean, you know, the, 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 the
0: capabilities of uh, of small satellites is evolving far more rapidly than uh, people at large can update their their their, their, their preconceived notions. Uh, and we all we all live through that, right? Um, when uh, when when the the mainframe computer was replaced by the personal computer, um, uh, and then this crazy thing called the World Wide Web came about, and people started doing completely outrageous things like buying books online. You know, who would ever do that, right? You know, well, it turns out it's a trillion point four dollar company um, that does that. But, but there was a time period when this was completely, you know, very, very hard to understand. Right. When uh, when people said, oh, this whole mobile phones thing, you know, I will never have a mobile phone. But I remember in Austria, I was the, well, the first person in my whole community which had an answering machine and there were people that were like i will never speak on an answering machine what is the- i mean i i refuse to do that right so i think i think there's just like there is like the speed at which we as human beings can absorb change right and then there's technology which can um, uh, grow far more rapidly and i think small satellite capabilities are growing uh, far more rapidly um uh, and yes it is taking a little bit of time but we now have uh, Numerous organizations, you know, NOAA, NASA, UKMAT, that have uh, tested out data, you know, written reports, experienced it. Um, And and so it definitely is moving, you know, it's not mainstream yet, but I think the acceptance of it is absolutely growing with government, civil agencies, military agencies, um, and and commercial agencies um, uh, across the world, recognizing that the same way the internet brought computational capacity to every person's desktop new space is bringing earth observation um, and data covering all of the world's surface areas and, and air to everyone's desktop in a, in a simple and, and easy way. It's,
2: it's great to hear all these um, these applications and all these different users now interested in the, in the development of agile space but of all of those, where do you think the largest, most transformative impact is at the moment?
0: Well, I mean that's 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 a very leading question, right? Because I am incredibly biased very I, I, I believe that climate change is the generational challenge for us as humanity of this century, right? Aside from from massive global change on the on the political and the economic sides, we just have to find a way to manage climate change, right? You know, it is absolutely happening. It is absolutely impacting businesses. Uh, it's not going away. The risk of us um, breaching the 1.5 and the two you know, uh, degree um, uh, barrier is, is, is increasing every single year. Being able to work on that challenge means that you have to collect data on a global basis, right? Because the way climate change exerts is, uh, is negative influence on humanity is mostly through the weather, right? And through uh, increasing severity and unpredictability of the weather. Now, to understand the weather and predict it, you need to collect data from all across the world on a continuous basis, um in 3D. Right? You know, the butterfly effect is well, you know, is, is a well known meme, I would say. So like you know that you can only do this from space. And you can't do it from billion dollar satellites that take fifteen years to build. That that just doesn't work. Right? So you have to do it with a large number of small satellites that take, you know, a week to build, right? And so we have the uh, incredible opportunity to dramatically impact how the world tackles climate change through, through weather impact and already historically, the unpredictability of weather is costing the global economy, something like two and a half trillion dollars, right? It's two and a half percent of global GDP growth that is lost. Due to the drag of unpredictability of weather, it is a massive, massive opportunity. And so, when when I think about the uh, global applicability, that is maybe even larger in the developing nations, which um, are dominating global GDP. Developing countries have more GDP than developed countries, right? Um, Developing nations have um, basically all of global GDP growth in in kind of like a a meaningful sense, you know, relative to to developed nations, right? When I think of an opportunity that touches every single person on this planet, you know, vast majority of companies on this planet and and is universally relevant, you know, I have to think of, uh, of weather as probably one of the single largest opportunities in this space. I think the next one, you know, probably is, is internet access, connecting people, I just think that that one is a little bit more tricky because, you know, we we saw that with Iridium, right, where, yes, mobile communications was the big deal. And that was like the plan from Iridium. But because of the difficulty of providing that from space, it was overtaken by mobile operators from the ground and it needed a second coming to find like a market niche that it could serve. We always had the principles that we're not going to be interested in any data or application, which can be provided, not just from space, but through other means as well. So everything we do can only and exclusively be done from space. Now, Internet access cannot be just done from space. You know, it can be done from space. It can be done from balloons. It can be uh, to, to microwave towers. It can be done through fixed lines. It's just a whole bunch of means through which, you know, uh, communities can get connected. And so you have a race between space capabilities and ground based capabilities in providing Internet connectivity to to all of the world, so to speak. But is that a a, a big opportunity? Yeah, it's potentially, I think, a very, very big opportunity that uh, that can continue to drive the growth of the space economy way, way ahead. Of, of global uh, GDP growth, as it has done for many times. I mean, for, for for like you know, over over a decade now, longer than than a decade, um, uh, the global space economy has been growing at about two and a half, two, two and a half times the speed of global GDP growth.
1: And we're talking about growth. You've obviously been in Glasgow five years now. That was a good decision, wasn't it, opening in Glasgow? <laughs> Hell yes, it was a wonderful decision.
0: It was, it was a fantastic decision, yeah.
1: And has it exceeded your expectations? I mean, your support from Scottish Enterprise last year was considerable as well. I, w- I would say that um, what has
0: exceeded my expectation the most is the quality of coffee in Glasgow, <laughs> um, and and the the incredible attitude and character of, uh, of 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 the Scottish people. We are obviously hiring in in six different offices, um, and the difference between you know San Francisco and Washington DC is is large, and the difference between. Um, or the distance and the cultural difference um, is larger than the distance and difference between between Glasgow and Luxembourg. Right. So I can really say like we, we are we are we are operating in, in six different unique markets and we see different types of talents and different type of characters. But Scotland is just a very, very unique place. I mean, I find people that have like this fantastic mix of being really fun and, and like, you know, um, uh, entertaining and, you know, uh, great to hang out with. Well, at the same token, just being super reliable, and uh, you know, uh, pardon my simple language, they just don't whine. You know, like if something <laughs> the, I mean, it just, it just. Um, I I I don't know how better to say. You this haven't right.
2: you haven't heard Kim when her microphone doesn't work. <laughs> oh,
0: honestly. <laughs> 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 um, uh, no, I, I, I would say like, you know, those are the two things, you know, I think Glasgow as a city, you know, has as has a, has a long way to go for its image to match up with its reality, because I mean, the reality is just it's a fantastic place, um, fantastic food, fantastic people, great coffee, vibrant, um, uh, fun. And and the image that I had when I went there is like, oh, you know, this is going to be a, a beaten down, drab place. Just have like this uh, this image of of like you know construction yards and 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 people with knives roaming the streets at night, right? <laughs> um, uh, and and so it's it's just it's just totally not, right? You know if 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 my money weren't sitting in my company, you know I would be buying real estate in in Glasgow. Right?
1: Do um, you spend much time there?
0: I lived I lived in Glasgow for for three years. okay um, uh, and then 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 I moved here to uh, to Luxembourg. and of course, I, I used to travel there. They had created that direct flight to Edinburgh, which was fantastic from Luxembourg. you know for for a while it was really difficult because you had to fly via London. Mm. And so you basically spend almost a full day traveling. Mm-hmm. They then created a flight from Luxembourg to um, to Edinburgh. But I have no idea how that is going to uh, materialize in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially, the, you know, how, how the whole travel is going to go into the UK as a European uh, citizen. Because, I mean, that that's like a, a whole other headache that, that is coming our way.
1: There's a lot going on right now isn't there? Sure is.
2: Well, I mean, it's it's great though to focus on the positives and we've certainly been hearing that a lot through this podcast series that everybody in the sector is universally positive. And that's uh, that in itself is is very very reassuring but I wanted to pick up on this point about talent I have a role within the University of Edinburgh and so come across a lot of students and there's an enormous enthusiasm now and there's an enormous number of students who want to get involved in a space sector ranging from data analytics, rocketry, the actual construction of satellites so I wanted to ask you if, if you were in the position of an undergraduate now who wanted to get into the space sector what top three pieces of advice would you give them?
0: I, I, I'm afraid that you're going to quote me on them right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, we're recording, you know. <laughs>
0: um, well, I'm, I'm still going to stick with being being entirely honest. So, I, I would say, like, you know, number one, forget rocketry. There is like everyone in their is building a rocket company across the planet, right? And so, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think we need we need more rocket companies, right? Uh, so that would be would be number one. I think um, instrument design miniaturization, right? So, looking at things that have uh, been done. On large platforms, large satellites, you know, large aircrafts, and finding ways to make them smaller, right? You know, very similar to how cell phones have gotten smaller and smaller components, right? Um, uh, Make them more software-defined, you know, for example, through the use of FPGAs, miniaturizing sensor capabilities. I think that is a extremely fascinating field and will, will continue to drive the growth of the industry, right? Because at the end of the day, the actual satellite, right? Which has a whole bunch of components. It has like the solar panels and it has like a, an onboard computer and it has a data handling and has a storage device and has a battery and has a, a power distribution system and it has a power conditioning system. And it has a has gyro, it has like a whole bunch of components and they're completely useless <laughs> without the payload that is collecting a useful data. I mean, think about a satellite as a laptop with no software, no operating system, nothing. It has a fancy screen, you know, it has a battery and has a hard drive and has a nice little keyboard, but it has no operating system. You open it up and it just has a blinking white thing in the middle and it just doesn't do anything. That is what, that is a satellite. That thing only becomes useful once you install some operating system on it, and even then, if you just install an operating system, it's like, OK, so now I can open it up and I have a window screen in front of me. says great. I can click on Finder, but I can't do anything right <laughs> now. I need a, I need like a browser. I need an, an an Excel, a Google Sheet or something like that to do something with with this laptop, with this machinery. Right. And that's the payload. So I would say spending time on the the payload side, which is mostly a miniaturization of technologies, including. A, a vertical transfer from, uh, from the medical field, for example, right into, into a space based platform. Right. I think, I think that that's a fascinating area. I do think that people underestimate the importance of the creation of data, you know, especially in the UK, you always hear like downstream, 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 downstream applications. And it's a little bit saying, it's like, Oh, you know, we, we want to have gasoline and we want to have kerosene and we want to have, you know, um, you know, diesel oil and you want to have all these applications downstream uh, and it's all nice and, and, and shiny. But if no one is actually digging a well for the oil, you can have the nicest refinery in the world. If there is no oil, you're not going to refine anything. Right. And the same thing is true in space. Like if there is no upstream producing relevant data, then there is no downstream. Right. And so I think I think uh, there is an incredible amount of value in owning the oil well. Right, because if you own the oil well, you can always decide to build a refinery. But if you just own the um, refinery and no one is willing to give you any oil, well, then your refinery is going to be pretty idle, <laughs> right? So uh, I, I would say yes. You know, focus on data analytics. Um, I think I think I think that's uh, that that's highly valuable. But but really think about which data sources, which data can ca- be captured from orbit by by miniaturizing other devices by technology transfer into it i think i think that's something uh, something uh, really really interesting excellent okay.
1: I was going to go back to your growth plans for Glasgow, because you, you had the yeah. Scottish Enterprise grant last year for 14.7 million, which I think was one of the biggest awards they've ever made. And this great plan for 260 new jobs. Is that still on track or has COVID thrown this back a little bit? How is that looking?
0: Yeah, I mean, of, of course, I think COVID has, has put a, a pause into it. The plan itself is, you know, unchanged. Right. You know, we will need those people we are hiring right now. So if you're listening to this and you want to work in the space industry, you know, please, you know, check out our web, web, website, you know, go to careers at aspire.com and, and, and reach out to us. When, when the whole situation started and happened, you know, our our commitment was um, very, very clear that first and foremost, we will um, you know, help our customers work through this and then protect our employees. I mean that was kind of like you know the number one goal for us is that uh, we didn't want to send anyone out into the cold during this current situation we have been able to do that you know there's not a single person that was let go because of the situation but we were not we kind of like put our our uh, you know hiring plans on hold right you know i think as as it's prudent to do in the in the current situation but generally speaking nothing has changed you know we are just as much in love with Glasgow as a location as we were beforehand we believe just as strongly in the, uh, uh, in the potential of the place to grow there. I think we are probably already the largest space company, definitely in Glasgow, you know, maybe even in Scotland. Um, uh, and we, uh, we want to continue to grow, grow from that perspective. I think what, what has created a little bit more anxiety for me personally is that the, that the COVID situation has, not that it needed another monkey wrench, but has thrown another monkey wrench into the whole Brexit um, uh, negotiations which are which are kind of like in, in even more dire streets than they were before and already. And that might have meaningfully negative repercussions from both the hiring as well as from a travel perspective. You know, we just, as always, you know, as as, as the Scottish people do, you know, there's uh, in Austria, we say there is no bad weather. There's just bad clothing. <laughs> and so we just we're just going to roll with it and we're just going fi- to find ways to make it work.
1: We say that too. We say that frequently in Glasgow, actually. Not so much in Edinburgh. It's a bit drier through here, but definitely in Glasgow. And actually, I mean, I I totally agree. Spire is is clearly one of the biggest space companies in Scotland. And in fact, I think yours is the company behind this. You you know, Glasgow makes more satellites than anywhere else outside of California or outside of... We're not quite sure what the actual definition of this is. We need to actually do some counting of satellites. Um, But given that you are so important to the growth of space in Scotland... Where do you see that going? And why do people still not know that Scotland has such a big space industry? You know what? I'm, I'm not sure that I can
0: answer the second question. It is flabbergasting to me, right? Um, uh, to some degree, I think it, it just has a little bit to do with with, with you know the similar question of like you know why, why why do people not know that Glasgow is a hip place with great coffee right it's it's just not something that comes natural to people to think about right yeah where where, where, do, where do I see space going right you know I think I think there is a there is a very very unique opportunity and a very very unique alignment in Scotland that is stronger than uh, than maybe any other place right and that is our our fantastic first minister has set out an extremely ambitious agenda. With regards to uh, to net to net zero, and and that requires a whole lot of information and, uh, about our environment, and the ability to to predict and observe changes in that environment, right? And space, by its very nature, is a means by which you can gather um, this type of information, right? It's it's no wonder that when you look at all of the big successful space companies, fifty percent or more of their business is with the government and so uh, in a sense the space sector is a is a unique sector where the government has a unique ability to decide and drive the creation of champions and dominant players because the products that successful space companies create are generally serving um, at least to a portion public goods be that information security safety you know be whatever you call it there all of those services are uh, public goods, and they are often provided from, uh, from, from space capabilities. And so it is far more in the hands of the government to create a, a dominant space player locally or a space ecosystem, than, for example, to create uh, a dominant uh, biotech sector. Because it, it's much, much harder to, to, to drive you know, innovation on the biotech sector because the government is not a natural customer. You know, if you're a customer, then you can pull on a string. If you're not a customer, then you can just push on a string. And that is just significantly more difficult to do. I, I, I happen to be a, a big fan of Mariana Mazzucato and the books and the uh, articles that she wrote about the incredible power of innovation from the government. Uh, which, by the way, you now is a similar misunderstood power relative to, you know, we just talked about coffee in Glasgow and, 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 the, and the space industry in Scotland in, in a, how much the government is actually driving innovation. I always get a little bit prickly when Silicon Valley companies says, oh, we are so innovative, we innovate all the time. And it's like, well, you actually don't. The <laughs> innovation happens in, through publicly funded means, academia and, and the public sector, and then the private sector operationalizes it. And that is a wonderful partnership that is incredibly powerful because what the public sector is not good is in you know, high speed, high efficiency, high operationalizing things. Right. Because it is it, the setup is wrong. You know, like it, it, it's just the whole structure set up uh, wrong for it. The, innov- the incentives are set up the wrong way. But it's fantastic in innovation, in inventing things that otherwise would not be invented because the private sector doesn't have the patience and the capital for it. And so you have this hand in glove partnership that, that where the private sector takes the innovation and then builds um, operationalizes it. Google was built on an academic project that talked about, you know, how, how do you figure out how do you rank um, uh, web pages? It was an academic research paper among millions of them, but there was one of them, which was better than the others. And that was the one that got operationalized and it's not a trillion dollar company. So I think, Scotland, as a government, has the incredible opportunity to really decide: Do I want to make this sector big and lean into it, or not? And uh, and I think that's that's a unique opportunity. I think it's actually a unique opportunity inside Great Britain. There is there is great calls from the, from the central government of what the space sector has to deliver. It's, it's, it's a little bit more furious hand waving of like, and then it magically happens, right? You know, it's, it's like, you know, the the equations that we learned in high school, where the professor writes out the equation and then he says like, you know, something, you know, a miracle happens and then he writes a solution. and He never tells us how you get from one to the other. (laughs) Um, It's actually not a miracle. It has been done repeatedly. It has been done in China, in the U S it has been done in Israel. There is a pathway. There is, there is a recipe for doing that. And I think in Scotland, we have the unique opportunity to not just have a recipe for this, but it has like this great alignment with an overarching policy goal of net zero, where space, I think, can be an incredibly enabling and empowering factor to allow us as a country to get there. Sorry,
1: I, that
2: was way too long an answer. I no, apologize. that was fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd love to hear that. And I I think there's a, um, a direct link to a couple of the other interviews we've done already this series. We we spoke to um, uh, Bonnie Dunbar, who's a, uh, an astronaut um, with NASA. And uh, we, we touched on that point that there is this very strong narrative about the private sector and SpaceX has like suddenly caused this complete change in the way that space exploration happens. And she said, well, actually, it's a partnership with NASA and there's, there's a you know, fantastic branding and marketing about what's happened, but it's not actually true. So it was, you know, it was interesting to hear your perspective. So to turn into a question then, can we get to some specifics? Like, what do you see as the gaps in Scotland at the moment? So what, and what specifically could we do to, to continue to grow the space industry?
0: I think we have an inspiring leader and, and her, her vision and her drive, I think is not yet fully permeated into the into the powerful bureaucracy that sits underneath that, that, that runs our government. And and I think there there still has to be a mind shift change from the more passive, oh I write some policies as as Mrs. Government, and you know, and then something magic happens with the private sector, to recognizing is that you are an active partner that can and shall drive innovation and projects and a mission, right? To give you an example, right? Scotland, of course, has large amounts of peatland, right? And they are—I um, I don't know if you're aware of them—they are a massive carbon sink. Sure. Yeah. And one of the big risks that we have is that you know they dry out, and that means that the carbon is going in the atmosphere, uh, and that means that we are adding to our carbon balance rather than sinking into the carbon balance. So, if you want to be net zero, the peatlands are actually a fantastic means of doing that. Right now, the key driver for like how big of a carbon sink they are is how moist the peatlands are. Now there is actually a very straightforward way of measuring the soil moisture, the peatland moisture, from satellites. And so it should be a, a very straightforward discussion. It's like, okay, yes, you know, let's let's do a project, demonstrate this. You know, let's collect the data, measure the peatland. Hire a contractor. to see, like, okay, here, here is um, a dry peatland. You know, please wet the the peatland, and then monitor that they actually did what they paid them for. Do a little, you know, small project. It's done in kind of like three months time period. And if this worked, well, let's make it, a, you know, a ten-year program to take care of our peatlands, right? And using, using the infrastructure, which is, you know, in this case, you know, um, uh, Spire has the infrastructure already in space, but I'm sure there are others that could be used as well. It we gets stuck in committees of the committees and political and it's just, and just nothing happens. And like the amounts that we're talking about here is like, it's, it's like, it's like minuscule in the grand scheme of things, right? But that leaning into action, I think is, is the big opportunity here.
2: Okay well that's uh, I think a fairly uh, definitive answer. Uh, just just to reassure you when we, we spoke to uh, Ivan McKee at the uh, beginning of the series and uh, Kim got her cheeky hat on and asked where the money was going to come from for the next round of investment in space. So, <laughs> we are asking those questions We're too but thank you. thank you for that.
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely. The one thing we haven't mentioned is your contract with NASA. When did you sign that? Was that quite recently Peter? yeah, that was quite recently. It was about them um, it was about them uh,
0: maybe 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 two months ago.
1: okay. and that is that the first time you've worked directly with NASA in, in this way?
0: so we, we we had we had contracts with NASA beforehand for the last uh, two two and a half years. but it is a, it absolutely a landmark contract because it is the world's first operational buy of weather and climate data from from small satellites um from commercial satellites, right? You know, historically, this type of data has only been by you know, the, the billion-dollar, 15 years, kind of like satellites, right? And when an organization as exquisite as NASA, that has, of course, tested our data and analyzed it, you know, decides that this is data that we want to have operationally. Every single day, we want to have fresh data every single day to run the research and other programs that we need to run. I, I think you really have to recognize that there is a, there's a bit of a change in you know you mentioned earlier on what do people think of data from small satellites right and so it was it was a you know of course it was a very very important milestone for us but i think it was more of like not just for us but for like the industry Mm -hmm. right that that here is data that is created um from devices that when we started off people at nasa said well what they're trying to do is against the laws of physics right (laughs) so that's that's how far away was the, the general accepted wisdom of what can be done with those small devices, versus what has happened over the last, you know, uh, a little bit less than a decade, mm-hmm. right? Um, talking about that rapid innovation we mentioned earlier, um, uh, Kim. Uh, so I think I think it was a, it was it was a, you know, really meaningful and momentous for us, but I think it was also very very important for the industry at large.
1: Well, it's wonderful speaking to you. Thank you so much for all your insight and for for giving us so much of your time thank you for thank you for doing this i think I think it's a it's a very very
0: important thing to do, especially at this point in time to share what 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 is happening in Scotland and what what more can can be taken to take place in Scotland
1: yeah. We agree. And we'll keep trying, won't we, Murray? We'll keep banging the drum for the Scottish... We will. History. We are. We're,
0: pl- we're ploughing away. But
2: thank you, Peter, uh, so much for your time. Really appreciate that. And uh, and and finally, yeah, best of luck for everything that you're doing. It's fantastic. Thanks so much. Thanks so okay. much, Jim and
0: Murray. You, have, a, have a great evening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
2: So the, the challenge now, Kim, is, is where we go from here. I mean, we've had Scottish government represented, we've had a NASA astronaut, we've had chief executive of Spire. I think, well, we, we've got a few ideas of, uh, of who we might bring on next. I've got, I've got something up my sleeve. Yeah, we're, we're not quite done here. It sounds exciting. Well, I think we've, there's a couple of parts of the space sector which we haven't yet addressed, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've got a couple more stories to tell before the end of the series. One is obviously around our potential for launch. So we've got lots of people lined up to talk about that. And then we just have just one little surprise for the end as well. People might be able to guess. (laughs)
2: <laughs> people might just be able to guess that one but um yeah i'm looking forward to that hugely and, and getting another perspective from that that section of the space industry
1: there's just one thing Murray. there's one thing i have to break to you before we sign off for today
2: is this is this going to revolve around abuse over my uh, kaylee dancing ability because <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what i'm expecting frankly
1: oh gosh i have so much to say to you about your kaylee dancing ability no no i'm going to kick you out next week sorry about that i'm going to bring christina back in
2: well, I think that's absolutely outrageous, but she is completely on top of what's going on in the launch section. So, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Yes,
1: she she's certainly much more knowledgeable than either you or I in this sector. So, it makes sense to bring her in to share her insight and also gives me a wee bit of a break from you for a week.
2: Well, and ditto. <laughs> Touche, my friend. A week, week without this nonsense. I'll just be kicking back. Well, anyway, I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to hearing that, the, uh, the launch podcast. Uh, that's going to be great. So uh, I wish you all the best with that one, and then we'll catch up the week after.
1: We will catch up for our surprise season finale. And if you have anything to say to Murray or I, you can always catch us on Twitter. He's at Murray B. Collins, and I'm at Kim McAllister.
2: Thanks for listening.